So within a world of polarization and anger and hate, Theology Doesn't Suck is a podcast that seeks to bring genuine conversations uh, amongst believers within different realms of theological conviction, uh, you know, things like that. And so we'd really seek to, to bring together people with different perspectives to have genuine and honest conversations uh, where we can learn from each other, we can respect one another, uh, and things of that nature. And so Theology Doesn't Suck also um, exists to help people who maybe you are ex- you know, searching and trying to learn about Christianity, then Theology Doesn't Suck is for you. Or maybe uh, you're, you're at the breaking point and you want to walk away from Christianity altogether, where we're hoping that our podcast can help you cling to Jesus and work through the difficult things that you are struggling with. Or perhaps maybe... Uh, you have been a Christian for many, many years, and you just want to broaden yourself, well, then Theology Doesn't Suck is also for you. Again, we seek to promote positive and honest and engaging conversations amongst Christians within all realms of Christian orthodoxy, a little bit of heresy for, you know, just for good measure, uh, but people who are, are genuinely seeking to, to find Jesus, to seek Jesus, to learn more about God, you know, within the realm of Christianity. So we're hopefully you will join us and uh, join in the conversation. Thank you. <laughs> Stop being awkward. Just do it. Okay. Hey guys, welcome to Awkward Faith. Today we are with Josh Patterson from Theology Doesn't Suck. How you doing, Josh? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing well. So for the most part, the people that are listening come from a very much evangelical um, background. And so okay. everything that we're going to be talking about today is either foreign to them or they've never even looked into it. And so myself, I probably know a very shallow version of what progressive Christianity is. And I think it's going to be awesome. Brooke has no idea what progressive Christianity is. And uh, we talked to someone the other day, and uh, we told him that we we're going to do this episode with you. And he started talking about it, and I was like, no, don't spoil it. <laughs> she has no <laughs> idea what she's, she's going to be talking about. So I saved my innocence for you. <laughs> Fantastic. Well done. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> so we, we split into four categories what we think that most— well, I guess anyone religiously can um, sum up what they believe in. We chose the four categories being creation, Bible, salvation, and end times. And so we'll just go one by one of those if you want to give us a, a brief run through of uh, what we're going to be, or I guess what progressive Christianity believes of those things. Sound good? Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, the first one being creation. Um, what do progressive Christians believe about creation? Sure. So I'm going to do my best to speak about, you know, things that uh, that I believe, but also I know for sure there will be some, you know, progressive Christians that might disagree with me. You know, so so I'll speak for myself. uh, Just I want to preface things with that. But as far as creation goes, I guess typically what you might find within the realms of progressive Christianity uh, might be people who would not necessarily hold to the, the perspective that, you know, like a young earth perspective that, you know, the earth was literally created in X amount of days, you know, 24-7, you know, 24-hour days, that kind of thing. Um, and me specifically, where I tend to fall in that 
you know, is within this this idea that, you know, I was more interested in trying to find out what the authors were getting at rather than taking a literal perspective on things. And so there's an author that has really helped me out. His name is John Walton. He has a book called The Lost World of Genesis 1. And he does this really cool thing where he breaks down the difference between material creation and functional creation. And so I much I would much rather talk about uh, you know, God providing functions for things rather than just this idea of like a, you know, a, a literal, you know, a six stage creation kind of thing, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So yeah. um, I would rather ask questions of why than how, so to speak, or I would approach the, the Bible in a way where creation is more so giving us an understanding of you know or telling us something about god rather than trying to teach us something that we might find in a science textbook okay so instead of looking at the bible as a um word for word like you said textbook it's more of an outline of what god is wanting or asking of creation if if i'm understanding right i'm sorry sure no yeah that's really good so i guess um, and this might be chasing a rabbit hole, but I, what I really see within the realm of the creation narrative is is God providing a a functional organ, uh, a functional um, origin for for people, or or maybe more so something that might make a little bit more sense is maybe a vocational origin for people, like the reason why God created people. Okay. Um, which, in my understanding, would be to to uh, you know bear His image. And, you know, rule over creation alongside of God rather than, you know, God just created things. This is how it happened. This is what, you know what I mean? This is what happened kind of deal. And I guess whenever you come from that perspective where you don't just interpret Genesis as a literal telling of history, would that still diminish? Or I guess many people that would be listening, they would say that diminishes the whole theory of um, or the doctrine of the fall or anything like that. Do Do you disagree with that? Yeah, because I wouldn't necessarily, you know, a lot of times, and I mean, I guess, you know, different, maybe more progressive people would, would disagree with me, but I I wouldn't necessarily say that Adam and Eve didn't exist, you okay. know, so to speak. And I think Genesis is, is helping us explain, like, the plight of the human condition. And so in my understanding, if I take away the, the literal, you know, telling of the story, it still gives us this 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 understanding, this broad um, perspective, or this narrative of why humanity looks the way that it does. If that makes sense, so I wouldn't, I don't think it diminishes the fall. Um, I think it helps explain it rather. If that makes sense. And I guess that what you said about Genesis may uh, and creation may flow into the next category, which is the Bible. Would you say that um, the Bible? Um, along with what you said before, is meant to be taken as an illustration rather than taking literally through the entire Bible? Or uh, is it uh, with most progressive Christians, do they say some are literal, some are uh, allegories and things like that? How would you handle the Bible in your... Yeah, sure. That's a really good question. I think, um, you know, and that's, again, like you pointed out, is going to vary, you know, amongst different different people. But for me, um, I get uncomfortable when people start using words like inerrant or infallible. I would rather say that the Bible is trustworthy, okay. that that the Bible is, is the book that God wanted to provide humanity. And that, um, you know, for me, uh, adding things like 
inerrant or infallible, in my understanding, is is bringing things to the table that the Bible necessarily wasn't uh, trying to communicate. So I am more interested in in maybe trying to figure out what, uh, you know, trying to get inside the the minds of the the authors themselves and trying to figure out what their original intent was. Yeah, if that makes sense. And so if, you know, as far as literal or, or non-literal, you know, uh, mythical or allegory, whatever, I think we can, you know, once we understand that the Bible is written within different genres, you oh. know, looking at that, that's going to influence our understanding of, of how we are to read, you know, certain texts within, within Scripture. So would that be you saying that not all of it is necessarily 100% true? Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a tricky question. I think, hmm, that's a good question. I think maybe to the way you're asking the question, yes, but ultimately also maybe no, which I know is not a satisfactory answer. Uh, it can be really confusing. But for example, I know some people might say that um, the Bible is uh, mythology that was then historicized. So they took a myth and they tried to add historical elements to it. I would flip that and say that the Bible is historical, but a lot of times stories are told within, you know, the realm of mythology so that it's based in history, but they use language that would, you know, appeal to uh, the masses at the time that would appeal to people at the time's understandings, you know, that they speak the way that, you know, people of their, their time spoke. And so if the, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's not true. Um, I think ultimately the Bible is true. And that's why I would use language like the Bible is trustworthy. Um, and, and you say things like, you know, the Bible is the book that God intended for us to have. But I wouldn't, I'd get hung up on saying, you know, for example, is the Adam and Eve story literal? I don't know. You know, is Noah's Ark story literal? I'm not sure. But... Um, I'm comfortable with that because I think the underlying principles, you know, what God is trying to teach us through those stories still can can be there regardless of if, if things happened or not, if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you think that the Bible is the direct words of the Lord? Uh, that's also a really good question. I think <laughs> I don't think I've ever had that question posed to me as directly as that. So I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate your question. No, that's really good. I would say probably not. Um, be, uh, man, I struggle with that because I think what happens is we all like there's and I forget what the heresy is called. So forgive me. But there's uh, a heretical term for people who uh, take away the humanity of Jesus and only focus on his divinity or, you know, they take away his divinity and only hope in, you know, focus on his humanity. And I think that often can happen, you know, within the realm of scripture. Um, okay. Do we take away – sometimes we focus so much on the, the divinity bit of Scripture that we forget that it was written by people. And sometimes, you know, if we focus only on the people bit, we forget that the Holy Spirit or that God influenced it. And so I think it's a both and. It's a yes and a no to your question. Uh, did You know, is it the literal word of God? Um, and actually, you know, this might, again, be chasing a rabbit trail, but the way that I always put it is that the ultimate word of God – uh, I find is is Christ Jesus. You know, the the Bible tells us that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God mm-hmm. is. 
And so when I start talking about inerrant or infallible, I like to say that, uh, you know, I believe in the inerrant and the infallible word of God, and his name is, is Jesus Christ. I would agree with when you said that there is the human aspect and the God aspect of Scripture. I totally agree with that because if you read the book of um, – God, I'm blanking on it. But if you read a lot of Paul's Scriptures oh, or gosh. what Paul wrote, you literally see him going, hey, and thus says the Lord, so on and so forth. And then he says, and this is me speaking, not God. Right. Right. And then I guess we could always get in the debate of, well, maybe God put those words in Paul's mouth or whatever. And it's I Corinthians. Would s- uh, First Corinthians, and I would challenge the person and say, "Well, Paul was being kind of a tool when he used his own words <laughs> in Scripture." But sure, uh, Paul was being Paul. Yeah. But what what you were saying there, I, I totally agree with for the most part. And I'm sure there's other progressive thoughts about uh, what you were saying. Uh, but one thing that I've always heard is that the Bible, from creation until the end of time, will be laid out, and you see history from beginning to end to the end of time. But then you see stories woven on top of um, what history was placed there, like the book of Job. No one knows where to place that in a historical timeline. And I think it doesn't matter, along with what you said, that even if it was just a story told to us um, to learn something about God, I don't have a problem with that. Sure. Along those lines, as long as it doesn't um, diminish the, the value of what God is trying to present to us. Um, and trying to get us to, which is repentance and everlasting life. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think my biggest thing, though, is, okay, so do you believe that God is 100% in control and 100% powerful over all things? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I would, man, so like I guess the 100% in control bit, would boil down to maybe something like, you know, within the realm of Calvinism, which I guess you guys had a guest on that spoke about that. Yeah, uh, and we, we would self-identify as more of Reformed than any other train of theology, so. Oh, fantastic. But, yeah, uh, my good buddy Andy is, he would have everybody know that he is super, con- you know, super Reformed. He is, <laughs> you know, confessionally Reformed. Yeah. Um, and adheres to a whole bunch of things that I've never heard of before. Uh, but Andy's a great dude. But yeah, I think... Um, it's it's hard for me. So the, the when I look at things like God's sovereignty, I think God ultimately is in control. But I still think that that um, things like free will can play into that. For example, if God's will is that you know these things are to happen for you, then I think that that line exists. And then the ultimate question for you is: Are you going to participate in what God's will is, or are you going to walk away from Him? And so you can choose very much so to, to, to you know, part away from uh, what God's will for your life is. And there's going to be consequences for that. Or you can choose to walk in line with God, which is going to be like, you know, this plan that God has for your life. So I think it's a both and again, which I know isn't a helpful, you know, <laughs> answer for some people. Uh, but I don't know. I know I, know I also have... have um, you know, friends who are like uh, what's called an open theist, and mm-hmm. they would say things like, you know, God only knows the things that he can, but because of free will, God doesn't know everything. So he's not totally in control. You know, we have have choices and decisions that we can influence the ultimate outcome of, of um, you know, history, so to speak. And and God could have a guess at what we might do. You know, he he'll probably know you know, based on percentages, you know, well, he more than likely Josh will do this in this situation. 
but ultimately God, you know, leaves that up to us. I wouldn't go as far as open theism, mm-hmm. um, but I would say that hum- humans have a, a large role to play within the realm of the story that God is telling. Yeah. I have a huge problem with open theism. I've run into some people before and it almost strips God of who God is, you know, and, um, but we're not talking about open theism this episode because <laughs> that could be a sure. long episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I just absolutely. want you to know that I'm not attacking you. I just have no, not at all. Not I haven't at looked all. at all into this. Yeah, so, no, I, I welcome questions. I think, I mean, the whole point of, uh, like, you know, not to plug our stuff, but the whole point of our podcast is to welcome these kind of conversations um, because I think it's so valuable because I think people with on the more conservative side have a lot they could learn from more progressive people. And I think people within the progressive realm have way a lot they could learn from, you know, their conservative brothers and sisters. And so I welcome questions. Yeah, that's the exact reason we're doing this as well. It's that there's so many people that just don't even think about things you know they just they've been told something their entire life and then they just believe it you know but sure wh- where's the questions where's the why and we want to know why and how and so cool. and i have one more question about that Go for okay it. so so if the lord so you said that you do believe that he's 100 percent in control or no uh i wouldn't say 100 percent, but i would say there's there's an ultimate path that that god god knows what's best and we have the choice whether or not to decide to go along with what um god knows is best that's probably how i would phrase it okay so let's say that does the lord not have enough power to change the minds of those who are trying to write in the bible thus making it the perfect word of god like, like if God wanted to and he saw that humans were going to uh, place their own words yeah. of thought. Yeah. Like if they were going to screw up the Bible, do you think that God uh, being God could step in and say, well, this is what I want to be written? Yeah, that's that's actually a really good question. I think that that boils down to maybe an, an understanding of, of God and his uh, characteristics, I think. Uh, a thing that I always like to say, and I definitely stole it, I believe maybe Pete End said it, and he probably stole it from somebody, but God likes to tell his story through his children. That's how I always phrased it. And so I think, although, sure, God could step in and God could do those things, within my understanding, it, it seems to me that God is, is more willing to work with humanity and with their limited understanding you know, because anytime we talk about God, you know, when we try to describe an infinite, you know, we're only talking in metaphor always. And so I think God recognizes that humanity is limited in its ability. And so then he allows himself to be spoken in, about in a way that might not be fully entirely accurate because he knows humanity can't capture that. And so I think God could, sure, could God override people? Yes. Does he? I would say no, because it speaks to his character that God would, you know, God chose people to tell his story. Um, God chose people to, you know, to partner with him within the Garden of Eden to, to rule over creation and to be his image bearers. And he loves his, you know, creation. He loves us as people. And so he gives us the opportunity uh, to speak on his behalf, even if we screw it up more often than not. Okay. Does that make sense? Does that get at your question, hopefully? Yeah, yes. and I would say a lot okay. of people within the evangelical um, realm would also agree with that. Okay. I would say that a lot of people, they believe that, um, well, I guess Arminians believe that, like those who are uh, like 
the total opposite of what we believe. They would say, yeah, God does never um, impose on the will of man, but also his will is still done. So uh, I would say that doesn't necessarily contradict anything within. No, I think you're I think you're exactly right. I don't think it's a contradiction. I think ultimately what I have found, you know, discussing with my good friends who fall within the more reformed tradition is that it's always it always seems to come down to a point of emphasis. What we choose to emphasize mm-hmm. Is ultimately where our discussions, you know, tend to, to split apart is, yeah. is what we choose to emphasize. Okay, so now on to the third, salvation. <laughs> yeah, so what, what did the, what is, um, and I know you're, you're just one person within that uh, realm, and just like we are only two people within ours, um, we don't speak for everyone, but uh, what would you say along the lines of, uh, what is the progressive thought within salvation, or of salvation? Yeah, that's a really, uh, again, you guys are full of good questions. Um, my So again, like you pointed out, this might not be fully consistent with everyone within the realm of, of progressiveness, but um, I, the way I think about salvation um, is maybe a little bit larger than just this idea that, you know, we've done some bad things, God punched Jesus on the nose, and now we're good, kind of, kind of bit. Um, I think ultimately... Uh, the the issue with that is that it it seems to start off the Christian story as if the Bible starts with Genesis three rather than Genesis one. It skips a whole bunch of stuff about how good humans are, um, and you know how we are you know very good within His creation. And so, I think the the issue is that humans were created in the image of God to bear His image to the rest of creation to take care of creation and and be within the creative process of God and then. We ultimately decided, well, no, God sucks. We're not going to listen to him. And we went our own way. And (laughs) I think a lot of us can relate to that. You know, uh, we think we know best. And so that's the real tragedy is is that people were created to to be partners with God and we walked away from that. So I view Mm -hmm. sin ultimately, which is a, a question of salvation, as a vocational issue and also as a collective issue. Humanity as a whole has failed. And so I'd say when it comes to salvation, we need to not only be saved from our personal sins, but also from evil as a whole, like the collective sin of everybody. Because, you know, my sin affects your sin, your sin, you know, is going to affect me. If I sin against, you know, if I were to kill somebody, for example, to be extreme, uh, that's going to not only affect you know, my relationship with that person, but also it's going to reflect their family and their friends and, you know, their peer groups, people that know them. So that, you know, expands. And so ultimately, I think salvation is a is a calling back to what it means to be truly human. And I think oftentimes maybe where progressives tend to get in trouble is they get accused of uh, denying what's called, you know, penal substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is this idea that Jesus died in our place. Um, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I would just rephrase it, you know, maybe from um, common understanding. So a lot of times we get this idea that that Jesus is God's son and he, you know, died in our place, which is great. That's fine. But I think what that can be caricatured as is, you know, God is this angry person. Jesus is nice and loving. Jesus comes dies in her place like I said God punches him on the nose and then we're good to go and ultimately that's a caricature I would much rather portray it as God sees the plight of humanity he loves his creation and instead of 
you know, God sends his son, he punches him in the face. God becomes one of his, you know, creatures. God becomes human and takes on the sins of the world on himself. So the wrath of God is taking into God himself. God handles the problem all within himself. Um, and, and Jesus is the way he does that. So sin is punished within, you know, the flesh of Jesus. And so God ultimately overcomes the one thing that all people have to deal with, which is death. God overcomes death, which again, not an original part of God's creation. You know, we weren't created to decay and die. God overcomes mm-hmm. that for us. And so that salvation is then not this afterlife insurance policy, not this uh, fire insurance, if you will, but more so this this recalling to what it means to be human. You know, God is, is pointing us back to, you know, this is what it means to be truly human. This is the vocation I created you for. Let me restore you to that. And, and you can live within that realm. You know, our salvation can, can start to happen right here and right now, not just after we die. Okay. So, yeah, for a second there, you kind of sounded like you were going along the thought of universalism. Or, <laughs> would, you, okay. would you categorize yourself as a universalist? Because I know a ton of progressive Christians would say they are. They say sin is a problem that every man faces. Jesus died for every sin of the world, and that, that, therefore every sinner will be saved. Would you classify yourself as that? I would say I'm a hopeful universalist. <laughs> I would say all of us would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, and I think you're right. I think most people would agree with that. I think inclusivist is a better word, which means that I'm not fully comfortable with universalism, but I would say things like perhaps God can still save people who never hear about Jesus. Like maybe there's, you know, um, somebody who was grown, you know, grown up, born, raised in a, like, say, Muslim majority country, for example. If they're interacting with, um, they could be interacting with, with Yahweh, with God, without knowing it, and God could ultimately save that person. So heaven might turn out to look a lot different than we anticipate it to be as far as who's in and who's out kind of kind of idea. So that's inclusivism rather than just a full everybody's good kind of, kind of thing. And that's only because I don't see, um, you know, total scriptural evidence for universalism, although... Yeah. If I get to heaven and God's like, hooray, everybody's welcome, then I'm, I'm not going to be mad about it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I think C.S. Lewis was also an inclus- uh, inclusive. Absolutely. How do, you, how do you say it again? Inclusivist. Inclusivist. Yeah, I think Correct. C.S. Lewis was also an inclusivist. He, he was. He talked about, and I think most Calvinists would say they are without in, outright saying it, that God will do what God wants to do. You know? Sure. Yeah, that's a good Calvinist thing to say. Yeah, yeah God will say whoever <laughs> the heck he wants, you know, and. I think sometimes we get in the the spot where it's dangerous, where we say that God can't do something. You know, we're not God. Right. Um, Right. But I would agree with you that we all are uh, somewhere deep down, hopeful universalists. You know, we wouldn't be mad. (laughs) Yeah, we wouldn't be mad if God saved everyone. But I agree with you that I don't see that that's uh, necessarily throughout Scripture, you know. And I guess, do you have any questions on that before we move on to the next one? Okay, so one of the things you said is, that we have to repent not only for our own sins, but for the sins of those around us. So let's say that um, I repent for my sins, right? But I don't think to repent for the things that you're doing. Like the things of a whole, like all creation, everyone's sins. I just repent for myself. Does that thus take away my salvation? 
Well, I don't think that – I think you were saying along the lines of how your sins have affected others, correct? Is that what you were saying? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, how my sins affect others. But I would absolutely say in no way does that, you know, take away the salvation of, of other people. I would not be comfortable in, in using language like that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's a good question, though. That's a good clarification, if I mm-hmm. wasn't being clear. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And so the last point, save the best for last. Uh, I actually recently listened to y'all's Unraptured episode. That was amazing, oh, cool. by the way. It was <laughs> I'm really good. I'm glad you liked it. Thank you. And uh, I'd like to say for a second that you may not have been able to tell, but I'm actually a huge fan of y'all's. I've listened to y'all since, I think, the seventh or eighth episode. Oh, wow. So, Thank you. Yeah, I actually it. a huge fan. And so uh, on your Unraptured episode, you touched on a ton of things that I totally agree with, with End Times. And so that brings us to the last one, which is end times. What would the progressive thought be for the majority of you guys on the end times? Yeah, I think ultimately, and this is really cool because a lot of our reformed brothers and sisters actually uh, share in this um, is rather than like, because there's some, there's either like this realized thought of eschatology that the kingdom of God is here and everything should be great. But I think our, you know, our experience doesn't line up with that. Or there's this idea that, you know, eschatology, that the kingdom of God is something in the future that we can expect to happen later. And I think neither one of them sufficiently, you know, solves the way that the Bible talks about things. So I would much rather talk about inaugurated eschatology, that the kingdom of God was inaugurated within the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And that ultimately, as Christians, we get to participate within this the bringing of the kingdom of god on earth as in heaven um i'm so passionate about this in fact i have it tattooed on my chest i know this is just an audible thing but i have it on earth as in heaven (laughs) tattooed on my chest it's that's if you want to get me excited that's what i get excited about is this understanding that and it and again it, it ties back to the salvation bit and it ties back to the creation bit so you guys ask really good questions is that you know ultimately we're created to be these these beautiful and wonderful image bearers of god image bearers of God and and we kind of fallen away from that we've lost our true humanity and Jesus came back to help us you know through through his death and rest resurrection he made it possible to have you know relationship with God again but also uh, with the gift of the Holy Spirit it has empowered us to be transformed to become more Christ-like and so my understanding of the end times is that you know there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth or uh, maybe better said, a renewed heavens and a renewed earth, where heaven and earth kind of come together once again. They're rejoined. They're, I would use language of, of restoration, or maybe um, as N.T. Wright likes to say, you know, things put back to right, rather than this idea that, you know, the world is screwed, God's going to blow it up, all of us are going to go live, you know, in the clouds somewhere, which again is a caricature. I'm not trying to make fun of yeah. anybody, uh, but you guys know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And so I think the biblical pictures is much more beautiful than us go live in the in the sky somewhere because to me that that makes it seem like for God so hated the world that He's going to destroy everything rather than for God so loved the world you know that we're going to restore and redeem creation put things back to right you know get the the human project back on track so to speak teach them how to be fully human and then you know uh, live and dwell you know, with God forever, where we're, we'll fully be in his presence and he'll fully be in our presence. And, um, you know, it's a much more beautiful picture than just, you know, everything's screwed. 
and and we yeah. could go you know play harps and and float around so to speak yeah, yeah and i think um <clears throat> you said something a second ago um, about partnering with God, and I would I would clarify for anyone that is listening, uh, go listen to Theology Doesn't Sucks episode on uh, the Rapture, their Unraptured episode, because they talk about this a lot. But you said something in there uh, in that episode that the Rapture or Rapture theology has created this sense of escapism, where mm-hmm. humans are always looking to escape. But that's never what God said. He said that He's going to restore things. Like this earth is, He wants to renew it. Like you said, He wants to make all things new. Sure. And um, though there will be a new heaven and new earth, He He by no means wants us to escape this life. Would you Would you agree with that? I mean, those are kind of what you talked about before. Yeah, absolutely. I would very much agree with that. And I think um, it all, it, what my struggle with, you know, rapture theology is that it, it almost diminishes the importance of discipleship, which is something I would much rather, you know, highlight. Um, And often progressive people get charged with this thing of, well, oh, you're just a social gospel kind of guy, or you're just a social gospel kind of girl, you know, where you only care about social justice. And uh, rather, I would I would say that social justice is an expression of me trying to live within the realm of, you know, the kingdom of God, what it looks like to have heaven on earth here and now. Um, And so the the separatist kind of understanding, like you're talking about, that that we're trying to, you know, escape to somewhere better and, and the world is screwed. I think it gets us out of discipleship. It makes discipleship a a non necessary element um, it, it paves the way for a lot of uh, maybe good moral teaching, but that moral teaching doesn't reflect in how we live our everyday lives. You know, people act high and mighty, but in reality, their actions, you know, show otherwise, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that um, for the most part wraps up the the whole topic of the, the four questions that we had for you. But if we gave you the floor to say something to all the evangelicals that have— um, let me find a polite word of saying, um, have a shield over their face okay. um, uh, against anyone with a different thought process. What would you say to them if, if you were to have the floor? What would you say? Uh, yeah, sure. I would say um, think about where other people are coming from, uh, because a lot of times uh, people who fall within the realm of more progressive thought maybe have been hurt by the church or hurt mm-hmm. by other people. Um, you know, you don't know everybody's perspective or background. Um, but also I just think that, you know, anytime I try to have a conversation with somebody, I would much rather them come to the table with the willingness to lay their position on the table, knowing that they could be wrong. And so I think there's, there's a humility, uh, within whatever it means to be Christian. There's a humility within our study of theology, or there's a humidity, a humility rather, uh, within the, the study of, of, of the Bible and things like that. And so I think um, to more evangelical brothers and sisters, I would say something like, you know, be willing to be wrong. Know that that's okay. Um, or maybe just be willing to listen to other people without thinking that you have to fix them or correct them. Uh, and I would also say the same thing to our more progressive, you know, brothers and sisters. Listen to the your evangelical crowd because I think both ends of the spectrum – have things that they can teach each other and i'm more more interested in somewhere in between within the gray areas rather than extreme so if you can find yourself within 
uh, gray areas, if you can have conversations with people in, you know, within those gray areas, um, I think ultimately at the end of the day, you'll find yourself growing closer and closer to God, you know, because you're more willing to be wrong and, um, things like that. So that's what I would say. (laughs) Awesome, man. We really appreciate you being on. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thank uh, you so much for having me. I was excited to, to be a part of this. 